Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. Well, today's recording is the 50th episode of this podcast. And I want to just celebrate that for a minute because I was hoping that this program would be well-received, hoping that people would find it useful. And here we are, 50 episodes. That's 25 forest spotlights and 25 interviews. And there's a lot more still to come. So this is just a little marker, a little milestone. But I just wanted to recognize that for a minute and to just say thank you to everyone who has listened to this and downloaded episodes and shared what you liked about it and responded to some of these topics. And some of you have joined my mailing list. Some of you have come to trainings. I, I just want to say I appreciate all of you and all of the work that you are doing in the most appreciative way that I can say. I just am so, so happy to get to know some of you and to see that the future of nature education is growing by exponential leaps and bounds as opposed to what's happened over the past 30 years. It's been a very, very slow curve, but we're kind of picking up some speed. We're doing some really good things. Lots and lots of different things are happening synergistically to bring the consciousness that nature is really important to all of our health and to people who want to help build the infrastructure to move this to reach millions of people. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you for every little bit you do, even if you just do a piece of this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We need you. And please keep going if you can, because it's good. What is happening is something to really celebrate. That's the the part that really should be celebrated. It's really all about you. So thank you again for listening. And without further ado, I'm going to jump into our 50th episode. And today's episode is talking about and exploring the concept of nature spirituality. Before we jump in too deep, I want to just pull back for a second and I want to define what I mean by that. Because there's two kinds of terms that oftentimes get interchanged, you know, interchangeable. Some people will say nature spirituality, and other times people say native spirituality. And I want to be really crystal clear here. When I am talking about nature spirituality, I'm really talking about things that happen to us when we're out in nature that are what I call feeling-based. Uh, experiences or things that happen to us where we kind of enter, I don't know, maybe a flow state where things just seem to be happening that are really amazing. Our consciousness seems to expand. Our heart kind of opens up and we feel a tremendous sense of love or light. Sometimes it's a healing experience where we kind of stumble out of the forest and see this like shaft of light looking at a little mini waterfall on a creek and you just fall to your knees and go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I am given this moment of grace this that transcends my daily experience of my existence. And that is what I'm kind of talking about. And I'm also talking about experiences where we might have 
things that happen that that defy logic and maybe defy being put into words, where as soon as you start to describe it, it just dissipates and there's no energy and it's like, it just goes away. And so those are things that we're going to explore. And that's what I call native nature spirituality, where these are just things that happen. Sometimes it could be a voice in our heads or an intuitive feeling in our gut that says, hey, get out of here. And then all of a sudden you get out of there and you tree falls right where you were standing. Whatever those things are, where, where nature's maybe communicating with us and we're interacting with it in a different way than coming into it with a, how do I say this, uh, like, a, like a modern mindset where we're, it's like very top-heavy, intellectually based understanding of the world, kind of experiencing the world of like, blah, 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 my head, my head, everything's in my head. And it's like something where our, our, everything about our awareness seems to shift into a different part of our being and time starts to stretch and things get change, change a little bit. And if you spend time in nature enough, these things will start to happen. And that's what I want to explore. On the other side of it, just to keep it interesting here, let's make sure we talk about native spirituality. And when I say this, I'm just trying to define it a little bit, kind of find where the edges are. I'm not actually defining native spirituality because I'm not native in terms of part of, it's not part of my culture. Yeah, I might have whatever traces of DNA and my great-grandmother was from Northern Mexico was a native person, but I don't have a cultural understanding or a link to land there. So I'm not going to claim anything, but I want to just talk about it for a second. And let me, let's just say that it's like almost impossible to separate uh, people who live close to the earth and their experience from it. You can't really, if you, as soon as you separate that culture or that, those practices, they completely change. And I've seen this happen because I've been invited to participate in certain experiences. And when I saw other people try to duplicate them, they completely would feel different. You would experience it differently. So to me, the culture and the practices that are close to the land, they're inherently tied. And they are things that are held in a very important way, in a very sacred way by those cultures and communities and tribes of people who are identifying as a, a particular people. And basically what happens when we move in and say, hey, we want to learn all this, it's oftentimes a little bit, mis- it's, it's very misplaced in a, in a lot of ways because when someone says, hey, I want to learn this stuff, often what they mean is, hey, I want to be invited to a, a sweat lodge or I want to be invited to some kind of healing ceremony. I want to go and do this and I want to get something from it somehow. I want to find out what it's all about, blah, blah, blah. Native people's experiences and their practices are not there to satisfy your curiosity. They are being held or trying to be held in a way that they can pass these down authentically to you know, the rest of their people. And adding a whole lot of people in there that really don't understand this and really can't understand it when those people are not connected to the earth, it just doesn't really work. And what I'm going to say may be controversial a little bit, and, and it might be not true, and many of you may disagree with me, so please, anything that I say in this podcast, 
just know that um, I'm not creating a blanket statement. I'm just saying what I've, I've seen. And what I understand is that as I studied, I mean, I've done ceremony with Wallace Black Elk and I've gone to Tom Brown and he's talked a lot about the right way to approach some of these, like the earth and nature and tracking and these sorts of feelings. And he's not, he sometimes will say, oh yeah, this is Native American, but it doesn't necessarily translate because we're not doing a specific cultural practice. And yet at the same time, what I've seen is that you have to be like living this stuff every day and have a profound connection to the natural world that is built upon like years of being outside, observing nature, harvesting native wild plants or wild foods and picking fruit and nuts and gathering and weaving vines. And your hands need to be kind of stained with the walnut husks and they have to have real depth to that experience. I'm not talking about doing it for one day in a one day workshop for two hours where someone goes around, drags around, tells you all about dandelions. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that that is not ha having a close relationship with nature. That's kind of talking about it and saying, here's the doorway. And when you never really go out and do it, that's it. Believe me, you can have pretty crazy experiences, but you won't really understand it and you won't be able to, even if you kind of understand it, you still won't have enough personal power, as some people might say, to actually act because you haven't done enough of the work. You haven't cleared your mind of all the stuff that society is just cramming into us all the time with all the, you know, Kardashians and there's this is important and that's important. And we're going to tell you all these things. Your brain is just filled with all that. And you there's just most of the time not enough room inside of us to really understand that. So native spirituality is just a different animal altogether. And so I really want to be clear, I'm not talking about that because those are practices and experiences and observations or whatever that are, you know, if you're lucky enough to be invited to anything or go to something that's open to everyone, awesome. That's awesome. But just know that when you walk into those, it really helps to have that time under your belt spent gardening, spent bending saplings, or, you know, living the way that people who live close to the earth live. And at that point, it will take on a completely different experience for you. So just keep that in mind. And I'm not trying to say to anyone who's like pretty into spirituality to then go, oh yeah, you should just not do it. That's not, don't, don't interpret it that way. I'm going to back up and just start talking about when I started. So when I started learning about nature and native people, like as a teenager, I would read stories of the mountain men. I would read stories of native people who had first contact. And I read any kinds of native American legends and stories, anything I could get my hands on. I tried to glean any droplets of wisdom and knowledge of what these people were like who lived for thousands of years on this land and could do amazing things, you know, walk silently, make bows and arrows, use every part of the animal, like all these things that I'd heard of in books and stories for years, I they all were just stories and legends. They were not something that was real to me. And when I was in high school, I was in a creative writing class or something, and we read Black Elk Speaks. 
And it was just this incredible awakening for me to suddenly then go, oh, wow, these are things that are still happening and going on and, you know, wounded knee and just the, the history of that really impacted me. And I could feel the pain and the loss and the just struggle to maintain any sense of, our, of an identity under the face of trauma and suffering and just adverse conditions like times a thousand. And I mean, I'll be honest, I experienced some of that kind of trauma as a kid in different ways in my life. I felt like I could relate to that. I'm not saying I, I don't even know what relate means in, in this context, but it felt important to me to learn that. And I felt something that woke up in me when I would read those stories and when I would hear about Black Elk and his vision and, you know, trying to walk these paths. And it's just been, it's brutal, right? Over time, as I graduated high school, I discovered Carlos Castaneda. And at that time, he'd only had like three books out. And he was talking about these other states of being, these other areas of reality or the other places of consciousness in which we can move our consciousness to perceive other worlds. And I know now, of course, flash forward 25 years or 20 years, there's a lot of people that have what I call debunked Carlos Castaneda or said, oh, he lied or he's a fraud and all that. And I, I'm not endorsing Carlos Castaneda at this point at all. But I will say that when I read those stories, there was something that like, it kind of hit me in a certain place. It was kind of like right under my rib cage on my right side. There was this like feeling of like, oh my gosh, this feels really important to me and I'm not sure why. And so I would read those stories. Sometimes I would read some of those stories and I'd read like half a chapter and then I'd have to go take a walk and put the book down because I could feel it having some kind of an effect on me that I couldn't explain. I could feel myself almost moving into another state of awareness or being. And I didn't really want to do that because A, I didn't have anybody around to pull me out. And B, I was, it was really important for me to maintain kind of an internal equilibrium. But I found that if I read and listened and, and thought about these stories a lot, it, it just helped me to think in new ways. So regardless of whether he talks a lot about like, oh, I walked with Don Juan for 10 hours in the desert. And when he describes that, like I've been to the Sonoran Desert and it's unbelievably hot and it's even more hot now with climate change. Like he didn't do a leisurely stroll with no water in the desert and then, you know, sip out of a couple of like he would be dead. There's just no way that the way that he described a lot of those stories is built on a, a level of reality. However, honestly, that wasn't really the point, but I do understand why people debunked him. And I'm, like I said, I'm okay with that. But the point I guess I'm making is that there are these, there is this a growing feeling for me as a young person in my late teens, early twenties, where I just suddenly went, you know, this other world that there people are talking about, whether it's black elk, whether it's, you know, I, I discovered Tom Brown and he was talking a little bit about those things as well in some of his stories and books that I just started to understand that as I was mapping it out, I was like, wow, okay, there's something real here, but I don't know what it is. And I don't know exactly how it works. And I don't really need to know all of it, but I'm curious about it because when I spent time out building trails up in the high mountains 
in California with the California Conservation Corps, there were weird things that could happen that happened to us. And I almost got struck by lightning on a clear blue day. <laughs> like weird stuff would happen. And I would just find myself walking through a meadow and then suddenly think, hey, I feel like people were right here sitting here. And I, this feels like the perfect spot at the stream to just sit. I, I could just sit here all day and weave a basket or do something. And I remember sitting down on this rock and then I looked down and there were mortar holes where the native people in that area, whatever, a thousand years ago, 800 years ago, 500, whatever it was, had these grinding holes for pounding acorns. And they were all worn smooth and they were just unbelievably beautiful. And just sitting there, I felt something inside of me move in a way like that there was a connection to something. I don't even know what it is and I don't have to explain it, but I, and I don't have the logic of it, but I found that sort of thing happen to me over and over and over again. And it felt like at times in my life that the veil between one reality and the other between say modern world and then my understanding of the natural world and then some other bigger mysterious world, all of those things began to converge and shift back and forth, sometimes a little bit freely in a way that was not entirely comfortable. And I realized really quickly when I would do things like be at Tom Brown's and we're running around at night till five in the morning, cruising around the back trails of the Pine Barrens, like things that I experienced out there, they did not feel good to me in a lot of ways because I realized, hey, I'm going too fast. And I knew that the reason why you have to base that understanding and that knowledge of the earth, you know, in a way that's very, very, very solid, then that is a way to anchor me so that I would not become untethered. So when I felt like things were going a little too fast, that's when I would go, hey, I'm going to crack open this field guide and I'm going to identify another plant or I'm going to uh, draw some animal tracks or I'm going to try to weave a pine rootlet basket. I just would do something that kept me grounded and kept me connected to the earth in the here and now. And that created a foundation for me so that I would not kind of swing back and forth. And I know I had a lot of experiences with people who said, oh, I love this feeling of being out here and having these other realities. And I know people that took a lot of LSD and other types of drugs and tried to go out and, and encourage that. And I know at least three people that never came back from that, that they, you know, stepped and crossed the threshold. And then the part that of them that came back was like a shadow of who they were before. And they, they never came back. And that was a big wake up call for me. That was after probably like 10 years of learning wilderness skills and having these experiences and talking with a lot of different teachers and when I say learn a lot from different teachers, I, there's a lot of bad teachers that I learned from people that were kind of nuts or would tell me crazy things that were not true. And then there were some that did, and it was damn hard to sort that out. And in the beginning, I was kind of trusting and I was just like, oh, this person wants to teach me something. They must have a good heart and have my best intentions. And I'm laughing, but I'm also crying a little bit because that is just not true. 
always. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not, and sometimes there's an ulterior motive or whatever. And that doesn't mean there anybody's a bad person or whatever, but many times in those scenarios, I could feel something not feel right. And then I would find later that that would be the case and that some of the things they were talking about didn't end up being true. But the idea here is that I was exploring these other states of consciousness while also trying to remain sane because I'll be honest, you know, I remember being in a class with a bunch of other people and they were like, oh, I can't wait to be out there and enter that. We're going to become one with nature. They'd have all these intellectual ideas of it. And, and I remember being at one point outside somewhere, walking back from someplace in the rain on a cold night and something, you know, I felt like I stepped into another reality for even just a few minutes. And the thing that goes through your mind is, oh my gosh, this is real. Like this is actually happening. And that's one level. And then another level is you don't have any thought because you're just experiencing something that you can't explain at all. And then the third thing is this is actually happening and I'm going to lose my marble. I am losing it. And it, you can have a number of bodily responses. <laughs> like it will really shake you to your core when something like that happens. So one element that I'm going to also mention is that when I have had experiences I can't explain. Oftentimes, I would I would say, yeah, this doesn't logically add up. And I don't really have the word. Like, sometimes I don't have any words to explain what happened. And then, you know, again, every, you try to explain it and it just evaporates or it just sounds so stupid and there's no, it has no meaning. So in other words, for example, lots of people go, hey, I did this meditation and then I had this incredible clear image of me in whatever, building the pyramid or, you know, being with Cleopatra or I was a soldier in the Roman army or I was whatever it is. And then I was in the middle ages or I was in World War Three or I don't know. That's kind of in the future. So, hey, who knows? But the point is when you have that and you can't really explain it, but you go, oh my gosh, it was just so vivid. I had this really strong feeling that I was there and I was living there and everything else. Just because you can't explain it doesn't then suddenly mean that reincarnation is therefore true. <laughs> like those are two separate things. I personally don't know if re reincarnation is a real thing or not. And there's a lot of people that believe in it. And I, I will say that I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm okay not knowing about something without having to then label it with the easiest explanation that there possibly might be, with no evidence, basically. That's what I'm trying to get at, is that because there's no evidence that it is 100% real, then therefore we can't prove it. So I'm not saying therefore it's not, I'm just saying it doesn't mean that it's automatically true. And so I try to keep a really open mind about all these. And when people do talk about whatever it might be, and they kind of try to describe it because they're just trying to figure it out, you know, intellectually, something that probably can't be named. It's really an interesting process. And sometimes you get to hear the people's experiences. That's the part I really like the most, hearing about someone's experience, not necessarily their explanation or whatever. Uh, I do think that in our culture, Many times people have experiences and then they're kind of intellectually lazy and just going like, well, no one could possibly explain something. And that's not really true. We can do some of that work, 
if you want to. But if you don't want to because it's hard work, that still doesn't mean that, you know, the most obvious sort of simple agreed upon solution is therefore true isn't isn't always a good case. Anyway, I feel like I'm bogged down in this, so we're going to move on from this part, but sorry about that. But the idea here is just, for me, is to try to explain that there's just stuff that starts happening when you're out there that you don't really know. I remember carving a piece of wood. I was sitting by the fire, and I was just like carving, and I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to make a spoon out of this. Why? Because... I made a crap load of spoons and I would like coal burn a little thing in the center and then do something. And I started to do that with this piece of wood and I suddenly went, I can't, I can't do it. And I'm like, what? It was like a perfect piece of wood. I mean, it was one of these ones where the grain was just right. It would have been beautiful on the bowl. And I just was like, I can't, I can't do it. And it didn't feel right. And I just had this feeling that the wood didn't want to be a spoon. And I started to carve to make it like a spoon. It was like a brick wall was happening. An invisible element of that was just like, no, no, you don't do it. Don't do it. It wasn't really like a voice. And so what I did was I just held it. I held it. I stopped carving. I held it. I felt it. I kind of turned it around and around and around. I put it back in my pack. I pulled it out a couple weeks later, just held it. You know, people were hanging around me talking and I, they would go, what do you do? What are you going to do with that? And I'm like, I don't really know. I'm trying to kind of feel it out. And after about four or five, you know, whatever times trying to work with it, I suddenly had this image of a really beautiful little animal on the end of it and, and that it was going to be a letter opener or something. Like I fe it felt like something pointed and on one end and it was carved in another way. And so I just kind of was like, all right, I'm just going to take little carvings and I'm just going to see what feels okay. And I just took... I'm talking about little tiny curls, like a quarter inch little flakes, the tiniest flakes you can make with a little personal carving knife. And I just kind of scraped away a little bit here, a little bit there, put it away. I kept looking at it going like, what am I making? I have no idea. But I kept going. And one day I just finished it. And I made this like long spear point as a letter opener. And then I had this shape and the shape of it turned out to be like a seal. I just had it in my pack. And eventually I felt like it was done and I sanded it really carefully and used like six different grits, got really, really fine. I oiled it and then I oiled it again. I got oiled it like four times to get it really lustrous. And it was just an incredible, beautiful piece. And I felt like this feels really right. And, and I could feel this like celebration almost because this image and this thing had been freed. And it was the really wonderful experience. It was weird as hell. Like, it was not easy to do this. The logical part of my brain is like, make spoons or make a trap or make a something. Carve this, do this, practice that. I could feel this pressure to practice my skills. And yet this experience was just a different voice. And I didn't even know what to do with it because it was something that I really didn't know. But anyway, I just happened to have it with me one day and I was out at like a a river somewhere. We were on a bay on a, where we were like, it was like the Hudson river on a sandbar. And there was a bunch of people walking around and I was taking something out of my pack and I was pulling out like a sandwich and my water bottle, whatever. And this wooden piece fell out with this beautiful seal. And there was an old guy 
that was sitting there with his family, you know, and he looked over and his eyes got really big. And he was like, where did you get that? He's like, where? And he kind of pointed to me and he was like shaking a little bit. And I was just like, okay, what's going on here? And I went, oh, I carved it. And he goes, how did you carve? How did you know to carve that? And I was like, I didn't. I I said, the wood kind of told me to. I said, it was really weird. And he just, he almost started crying and he kind of reached out his hand a little bit and then he pulled it away. And I was like, Hey, do you want to, you want to hold it? You know, check it out. And he picked it up and he was like, I had something like this from someplace. He had traveled in the Arctic or something. And he said, I had something like this that was given to me by, you know, really, really wonderful person who was a hunter way up there. And, and he said, I lost it and I could never find it. And I, I am you know, I cannot believe that I I would ever find anything like that. He goes, it's so, it's been one of my great losses on a personal level in my life that I feel like I lost that connection to him. And he said, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I carved it for you, man. And he goes, you don't even know me. And I go, I know I don't. It was the weirdest thing. And I went, you know what? It's yours. I said, it's yours. I said, he goes, no, no, it's yours. You carved it. And I'm like, I did, but it was under duress. And I said, I don't really know what I'm going to do with it anyway. I said, please, please take it as a gift. I said, I'm so glad that it has meaning. I, I said, I I mean, it, I, at that time in my life, I didn't take pictures of stuff or anything. Now I have my cell phone. I, I take pictures of everything. I have no pictures of it. I would have loved, it would have been great to have a picture of him and me and, you know, having him hold it and having me, you know, explain that the whole thing. But it was just a really freaky, you know, it sounds cooler when I'm repeating it right now. In the moment, it was weird and it was uncomfortable and a little bit anxiety producing because I didn't really know what was going on. But I also trusted myself. And as soon as I said, hey, you could have it, my body just felt this incredible sense of relief. I felt so much pressure and then boom, it felt really good. And when he took that and, and walked away and said, thank you so much, it was like, I was like, oh, wow, I don't know what happened. And, you know, then I would tell other people about it and they would go, dude, man, you had a spiritual experience. And I'm like, I don't know what that was. But that was an example of something that happened. And I want to say that happened often. It didn't really happen like, oh, every week something, I did that. <laughs> That's not true. It happened in a way where it'd be like every year, every two years, something, I would have some kind of experience like that, whether it was me making a drawing and drawing certain images and then having people just go, oh my God, I've had a dream of that image. You know, I've had a dream for the last three months. Every, every night I have something and that image pops up in my dream. And I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Hey, you want my drawing? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, great. Another thing I'll mention about doing this spirituality um, experience, this nature spirituality or nature-based thing, is I was camped in the Alabama hills in the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada mountains, right outside of Lone Pine. And it's right at kind of the base of the trail that you go up to Whitney Portal and you go up to climb Mount Whitney. And that's, which is like the highest peak in the lower 48. And that is an area for me that when I go there, it feels like, it feels like home, not in a home like, oh, I should live there, 
but it feels like home in a way where I like there's a like a my spirit feels like it's home. Like it's just so beautiful the w- the way the rocks are, the way the trees smell, the way the land is. Everything about that area is just incredible. And so it, I was in well, I want to say Alabama Hills. It actually was a little bit north. I kind of had camped off of one of these like little forest service roads. And I had a pickup truck and then I slept in the back of it with a camper shell. And I had pulled over and I'd been at some hot springs, I think a few days earlier, up further up at Mammoth. And I pulled over there and just went to sleep pretty early. I was really tired. I'd been hiking around a lot. I was exhausted. I was in a really deep sleep. And it was very, very dark. And I suddenly heard this voice that said, wake up, wake up. And I opened my eyes and it was the kind of thing where I was like wide awake, instantly wide awake. Like someone had just said that. And I was just like, oh my gosh, was that person in my truck? How did they get in my truck? I had all these feelings, not necessarily logically going through my head, but I was just like, somebody just said, wake up to me. And I sat there, like, I looked around, no one was there, everything was dark. And so I laid back down and closed my eyes. And just as I was drifting back to sleep, it came again, wake up, go outside, wake up, go outside. And I thought, I don't want to go outside. <laughs> I'm like the most reluctant spiritual person, you could say. I, every time I've had something like that, I'm just like, I don't feel like it. <laughs> Why are you picking on me? Like, I, I could feel that I needed to go outside. And at the same time, I was a resistor. I'm probably still a resistor. But that feeling got more and more intense. It became almost uncomfortable. And, and so I got out. I got, went outside. It was freezing. Like I had long underwear. I had a thick hooded sweatshirt. I then put a jacket around me. And when I got out, out and looked up, up, like the sky was just deep, deep, dark, dark with, you know, covered in stars. The Milky Way was just like twisting across the sky. It was incredible. It was breathtakingly beautiful with a dark sky, like only you get in Death Valley or some of the places in the desert. And, and I, I couldn't help but enjoy it. And I was wide awake now because I was just like, okay, it's freezing. And when you're cold, you wake up. And I grabbed a blanket and I didn't really know what to do. And I started like walking around very, very slowly. I wanted, I didn't, I had this feeling I didn't want to make a lot of noise. And I just started walking up this like very dusty dirt road. It was very quiet. And I, as I walked, I walked through these boulders. There were these big rounded granite boulders and, you know, sagebrush around them. And there was enough space between and around that I, you know, as I walked on the road, it was very quiet, but I got a little higher, higher. I went probably a quarter mile away from my truck and I could see in the distance that it was just starting to get light, like just this very, very, very pale light. And there was a rock that was like a, there was two big rocks and there was a smaller rock right in the middle. And I thought, I'm going to go sit on that rock. And it immediately felt good. I'm going to sit on that rock. I'm actually going to sit with my butt in the sand and I'm going to lean back against that rock and, and just wait for the sunrise. And I felt this release inside like, oh yeah, do that. That's going to be great. I carefully walked to it 
as quiet as I could. I had my blanket. I sat on my blanket and kind of put it over my shoulders and, you know, leaned against this ice cold rock, which was really fun. And as the sky got lighter and lighter, you know, I would kind of drifted in and out of, of consciousness. And I felt like it was okay for me to sort of half doze and half not and kind of go back and forth. But all of a sudden I woke up and I looked and the sun was just about to come over the horizon of the mountains, you know, the white mountains in the distance. And in the Eastern horizon, when that first, those first shafts of sunlight came over these, these like rays, it felt like they went like right through me and into me in a way that just was like burning away something inside of me. I don't know what it was. It had this feeling of it just scouring me and it felt really, really good. And I, I just felt alive and clean and, and awake. And I was just sitting there and I turned my head very slightly because I saw something in the corner of my eye and my perception. And there was a, a golden eagle sitting on the, you know, on the rock to my left. And it, when it saw this, this ray of sun, it opened its wings very slowly and it began, you know, to dry its wings off with those early, early sun rays. And I could tell the, that that's what they do. I've seen the turkey vultures do that early in the morning, you know, high up in a bunch of like dead, dead pine trees which was really cool. I saw that bird move its wings and I, out of the corner of my eye, I was able to just sort of look at it without turning my head much. And then I noticed on the other side of my vision, so I, I saw a movement and I heard a little step or something scraping on that, on the, the rock to my right. And there was another eagle there and it also spread its wings and was waiting for that sunlight. And I, I will tell you like, that I would not have had that experience if I hadn't woken up, you know, whatever it was, an hour before sunrise and then went outside and followed that feeling and then sat there. And I sat there with those eagles for, man, at least 45 minutes, if not more. And I mean, those eagles can like, what they can read the New York Times from a mile up in the sky or whatever. So like, they have really good, they say, I'm pretty sure they knew I was there. And I'm pretty sure they knew that I was you know, that I had gotten out of my truck and then walked a quarter mile up the road and then, you know, tramp, 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 even though it was really quiet, I'm sure it sounded like an elephant. So somehow those eagles let, were okay with me being there. And I will say that I spent like at least three years practicing wilderness skills, practicing stalking, practicing observing animals, practicing the feelings of gratitude towards animals and thank thanking them for leaving a trail for me to follow when I went tracking, thanking the trees for letting me use their wood to make a spoon, another spoon, a bow and arrow, a bow drill, a chair, whatever it is, right? I just remember being like always thankful, always grateful. And I would just go and sit out. I would make offerings of fibers to the birds in the spring to build their nests. And I, I, I was, I was at that time, I, I felt like there was really nothing in my way to get in between me and the relationship that I was building with these animals and how much I cared for them and respected them and wanted to learn from them 
and would marvel at their ability to do things like the beavers to chew a gigantic cottonwood tree down or, you know, to look at the way a weasel (laughs) is just unbelievable the way they can hunt and how fast they are or, or any number of things, just everything about nature would just phenomenal. Even just looking at how an elm tree grew and grows with its branches that, that kind of spread out in this beautiful shape and that they're so springy and so strong and they provide these spots where Orioles can make their nests in a woven basket for them to float around and flop around in the wind. And they're just, just amazing. Like all, all those things were really what I was living every day. And so when that happened, it felt like there was something that nature was sort of saying, which was like, Hey, you know what? You're ready. We accept you in some small way. We accept you and you're okay. Something like that. That's, and that's a crappy way to even say that. It's almost disrespectful for me to even say that that because it, it doesn't even do justice to the feeling I had. But I just sat there on that rock and like cried with the fact that these two eagles were either on side by side of me and they felt like, okay, you know, they were, they were okay with me being there. And and I was just so thankful. I'm still thankful for that. These are, you know, I'm, I know this sounds really dramatic and everything, and, and maybe it is. And I don't know if I'm doing people a disservice here by saying this as if like I'm some big thing or something. And oh, nature accepted me, whatever. But these are these are things that start to happen, like being out with a bunch of kids and all of a sudden having us just be real quiet for a second. And I'll be like, hey, guys, I don't know. Let's just be quiet for a minute and see what we hear. And then being quiet. And then all of a sudden a deer come like trotting down the hill and walk within like 10 feet of us and then look at us and then just keep walking without running or snorting or anything. And we would just go like, what the heck just happened? Why did that happen? We were all talking and yelling four minutes ago and that deer had to have heard us. And yet it walked by us like we were nothing, like we were just part of the woods and things like this happen. And when they do, it's powerful. Like it's a, it's a powerful experience. And when you are taking people out and working with them in nature and making baskets and spoons and whatever you're doing and tracking or doing forest bathing, or you're with those really, you know, preschool age children or kindergarten or middle school, primary, whatever, whatever ages you're working with, if you go do it long enough and you really are sincerely working to provide a some kind of an experience that transcends our everyday consciousness or even if you're not sometimes that consciousness comes to you sometimes nature makes a gesture to you and when it does it's it's powerful and and so i i guess i want to just say that these things kind of unfold as you go and you don't have to necessarily categorize it you don't have to necessarily even explain it even the way I just did about the eagle story or whatever. I have lots of stories of walking through the forest and all of a sudden feeling like I'm walking through like an afterimage of an animal. And I walked through this one feeling. I felt like I walked through this like glowing 
wall or something, like, you know, just something small, but I walked through it. It went right about like where my rib cage was again, like just kind of like my solar plexus. I just walked through, it wasn't very tall. And, and I stood there and all of a sudden I felt like something was looking at me and I was like, oh, this feels like a deer. I feel like I walked through the path of a deer. And it was like almost like this sort of silver light that was like an after image of an animal kind of moving through and down the hill. And I turned and looked down the hill in the direction that the line was flowing. And as I looked down, I was standing on the deer tracks. And as I looked down, I could see way at the bottom of the hill. Like sometimes you can just look down the hill and you can see between two trees, there was a deer. I mean, this has got to be, I don't know, 150 yards or something. It was, it was a long way. And I could see this like spot where these two trees were and this doe was looking right at me. And I was seeing her through the trees. And then all of a sudden, I could see myself and I was the deer looking back at myself. And I could see myself. I could see my face. I could see my eyes. I could, I could see my, you know, my jacket and everything. And I could see everything about how I held. Everything was there. And then I was myself again. And then I looked back and the deer was gone and kept going. And that was a something that I know people who talk about spirit tracking can talk about having those experiences. And I can't explain that like on a rational level. I'm sure that somebody will go, oh, there's no such thing as uh, ghosts or spirit or whatever. So that doesn't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't need to explain it. I don't need to prove anything. I'm just saying when you have something like that happen, it's weird and it's, it's really cool. And it's also, I don't know what you do with it. And I don't even, I most of the time don't ever talk about that stuff because I don't want people to think, oh, wow, Rick had that. He's special. I'm not special. I didn't do anything to have it. I just know that I spent time out in the woods and something happened. Now, do I have that happen every time I go out? Do I, am I seeing trails going back and forth, crisscross and all the time? No, 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 no. That is not. It's when these little windows open, they're just like gifts. It's not something I control. I don't know. There may be people that can control it. And if they can, awesome. I don't even want to try to control it. I just know that they are, it, it's a powerful thing. And I've had lots of other spirit track. I've had experiences where I put my fingers into a deer track. And I remember, you know, just not even touching the track, just putting it into the, like, where the deer impression went into the soil and I didn't even touch the soil. But as soon as my fingers kind of entered that space, I felt like I had to pee. And I went, what the, I pulled my hand out and my, that feeling went away. I put my hand in, I felt like I had to pee. And I looked at the track and I went, huh, well, that's interesting. And then I started to follow the tracks and this was in sand. It was in like a dark, dark sand you know, kind of loamy mixture with gravel and all that. And it was like, the tracks were very distinctive, but I was walking along and I walked about another, I don't know, a yard or two. And I looked down and I put my hand in it and it felt like I, it almost felt like a burning sensation. Like when you have to pee, like you're holding it. And I was like, whoa, I was like, what, what is happening here? And I then walked, I looked out and I could see this spot where the track, the track separated, you know, before it was a walk, it was like step, 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 step. And there was each track is two tracks as it's walking. It's indirect register. 
And all of a sudden, the, the animal opened its stance. So it was all four, all four legs were sort of spread a little bit. And, and I, try, I was trying to kind of put, picture what, what it was doing because I still couldn't quite put it all together. It sounds stupid now, now that I'm talking. But in the moment, I didn't really know. And I was just kind of being stupid. And I stepped and it was like there was a bunch of leaves there. And all of a sudden I looked and it was all, all the leaves were, were wet. And, you know, you could see splash marks in the sand where the deer had peed. And then, and then it like, you know how that, if you see a dog and it like a female dog will spread her hot back legs and then pee and then keep walking. And it, deer don't do the, you know, like how a dog does where they scratch and try to kick some dirt or fresh dirt over it. Deer don't really do that, but it just walked away and I could see it walk and I just could feel like, oh, it's not, it doesn't have that anymore. That was something that was really interesting because I could actually see the evidence. I could feel that and, but I couldn't actually see that track because it was around the edge of a bush. I couldn't see the P mark. I just could feel something and then I stepped on Honestly, I don't really have that that often. Once in a while, I'll see a deer track. I'll look and I'll be like, oh, feels like I, I suddenly feel like I have to go to the bathroom. It happens to me once in a while. And I don't really track all the time or anything. So I'm not having these experiences right now on the regular. But this episode was meant to be an exploration of this. And I want to wrap it up by saying that, you know, just be aware or be prepared that your students, if you are an educator, taking people out in nature, taking kids out. Sometimes I've had children where they go into a nice, like a wiki up or something like a bark covered lodge and they're sitting there with the fire and kids will have experiences that they can't explain either. I have had children come up to me and say, I had a dream about being in this shelter right now, three years ago. And I don't know what that means. Well, you know what? I don't know what it means either, kid. But I will say, wow, that's really cool. And, you know, I just try to support them and to just say, yeah, what does that feel like? Have them go into that a little bit and say, hey, might be good to write in your journal about that. Or were there any images or anything else? And not to pry to them, but just to say, keep that, you know, keep that close to your heart. That's really cool that you had that. And they will come to you with those things. And sometimes they want to know, they want you to explain it. They want you to help them understand so that they can integrate that. And the best I will say is to help them continue to be grounded in the here and now. So if somebody has a weird spiritual experience, I'm always like, hey, you know what? I'll tell you the answer to this if you will document seven new animals through their tracks and then send me these journals back. And if you do that, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a couple of stories that might help it make sense. And sometimes they do it. Sometimes they don't. But the idea here is ask them to do things to ground themselves in the here and now before sending them down the rabbit hole. The big mistake I will say is don't start getting into weird ghost stories or weird spiritual stories because that will freak them way the heck out and we don't need that. So please don't pose as a shaman. Don't pose as somebody that knows a lot about this stuff. If you don't, I'm not posing as that. I hope that this episode hasn't 
got you going, wow, Rick's really weird or wow, Rick knows a lot. I have not claimed to know anything except these are the things that I've seen and I can't always put a, you know, I can't always put a button on it or something that goes, this is what it means. And I, I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with saying to kids, Hey, sometimes something happens and you can't really explain it, but it can, I always say, well, what does it feel like? Do you feel good? You know, I've had kids that put a hand on a tree and go, man, I felt like this tree was my brother. I felt like this tree was my friend. And I could feel that friendship in my hand. I could feel it. I could feel it going up my arm and it felt so good. And I put my hand back on the tree and I said, I'm your friend. And I was like, man, you're making me cry right now, man. That sounds so cool. I am so glad that you had that experience. That is so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that story with me. That's That means a lot to me. And that's all we need to do is just be that. We don't need to be anything else. We don't need to then turn around and go, therefore, I can cure cancer or something. Like just, just be you, you know, being who we are is enough. It's enough. It's enough to just be you taking kids out in the woods, learning about stuff, exploring it, having these feelings. And that's it. We don't need to turn around and I don't know. I don't know. Just, I don't know where we we get these ideas of stuff, but it's like, that's just not necessary. And it usually will take us into a place that is sort of ego driven partly just because we want to help people, but it almost always will backfire. And when it backfires, it's not good. And it's a self-created, self-inflicted wound. So please don't just be yourself. If you're having these experiences, reach out to other educators and say, hey, have you ever had this happen? This is cool. Like my hope for even doing this episode is to say it's okay to talk about these things. And we're not posing as a particular tribal member or doing a ceremony or doing anything. We're just talking about stuff that happened and sharing stories. And those stories can be really healing and can be really helpful to all of us. And most of you, if you've been doing this a long time, you have stories like this. I know you do. And so please feel free to share them if you want to. If you don't feel like that, don't do it. Just know that it's okay. And that it helps our students to understand that it's okay because sometimes when they happen and they're freaky, it can be very uncomfortable. And I want to make sure that the closer you get to that, if you have somebody who started in preschool and then they went to kindergarten and then they went to all your camps and now they're an instructor and all of a sudden they're having these like really intense experiences, you want to support them. You don't want them to feel like they're left out on their own. But at the same time, don't tell them what's going on when you don't. But but this, I don't know, this feels good. It feels good to me to do this episode. I hope I haven't stepped on anybody's toes. I hope I haven't hurt anybody's feelings about anything. If I did, I, it's unintentional. I have the most respect for everyone out there doing these things, like I've said before. And I, I really, I feel like these are things that is, are okay to talk about. And is it spirituality? I don't know. I don't know what even spirituality really is. I just know it feels like there's something out there and I'm glad that I'm glad that there is and that's okay. And they can really, it can really direct where you go in your life and it can really help. It helps me to feel sometimes when I'm really struggling to think of those eagles or to think of the buffalo or think of other experiences that I've had that help me feel connected to the world, the larger world, that it helps me to not feel alone. And it helps me to feel like I can find an inner strength in me 
to keep going, especially when things get stressful. So I hope that's true for you as well. And again, thank you for listening. And I look forward to hearing your stories if you care to share them. All right. I'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature. You can get access to the bonus episodes, my forest educator nature journals and curriculum, as well as other useful content by subscribing to my Patreon page where you can support us at any level. You can find the link in the show notes for that and my website and social media as well. And I will see you outside.